Aaron Wolf is an actor and director of the production company Howling Wolf Productions. Thanks to his grandfather, a rabbi from Nazi Germany who promoted interfaith, Aaron credits growing up with people of all colors, faiths, and creeds around his dinner table as a major influence on his subsequent storytelling career. His award-winning first feature film tackled the topic of learning disabilities and helped create dialogue in schools around the country. In the intervening years, Aaron has focused on creating meaningful work that creates dialogue, even if the process can be difficult and uncertain at times. To paraphrase Aaron, fear propels me. If it's too easy, then why am I even doing it? To learn more about Aaron's story, be sure to listen to episode 58 of the Fearless Storyteller podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Fearless Storyteller podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Freckleton. Have you ever noticed how fear stops us from creating and sharing our best work? Join the Fearless Storyteller as we explore the heart and soul of writing stories, songs, and scripts that sell with the people who write them. Each guest has their own unique hero's journey and insights into the intersections between limiting beliefs and success. This podcast episode is sponsored by me. I'm Ethan Freckleton, a mindset coach for author entrepreneurs. I help author entrepreneurs to achieve a sustainable, flexible, profitable business without all the burnout and overwhelm. Learn more by visiting ethanfreckleton.com forward slash mindset. Well, Aaron Wolf, welcome to the Fearless Storyteller podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you've got is that is that on brand hat and and some podcast stuff behind you there. Yeah, it's all we have. I guess only one of the monitors is on right now, but we have. Uh, I always wear my Howling Wolf Productions hat. This uh, logo that I have on, it's a wolf with the film strip coming out of it. Mm-hmm. You can see it online since this is a podcast, so you can't see it. But it's uh, something I conjured up in high school. As a thing I wanted to do is Howling Wolf Productions. That's my production company, and mm. it's a wolf because my last name is Wolf with a film strips spitting out of it. Yeah. So then once it became more and more of a reality in college after college, it's like I need a hat. I need to have a hat <laughs> for this dream. But it just I need just my own hat. Well, what's going on here? Yeah, you do. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we all we all so it was, this hat's kind of a represents the the dream i've always had mm, that's cool so you've known for a long time what you wanted to do sounds like yeah probably since it was six or seven wow that's clarity and acting you, and, and directing. You kept with that so yeah for people who don't know who you are like this is one of my two canned questions here like what would you like to share about yourself sure i'm a actor director of a production company howling wolf productions mm. i uh have always been into the creative space since I was a little kid, Mm. started doing community theater acting, went into doing filmmaking in junior high, high school. And by filmmaking, I mean, taking my dad's, um, I think it was mini DV recorder Mm. and, um, and making stuff. 
just making anything I could think of. Mm-hmm. And then college, went to New York University, did the the film program and acting program there, and just kept on with it. And then after yeah. college, I was a waiter for six months. And then someone saw one of my films hmm. at a film festival and hired me to make a professional film. And so then I got to professionally say I was Howling Wolf Productions nice. instead of just say it as a, as a dream. And from then on, I've, had, I've gone through the ups and downs of the film industry. I've worked within the studio system and outside of it. Mm-hmm. I've worked for Disney and Warner Brothers and been independent, been independent for a while now um, because I love telling stories, mm-hmm. acting, directing in stories that mean something to me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean art house, you're not going to understand what the story is. That just means something <laughs> that resonates with me. Uh-huh. And uh, so, and what's, so the all dif- the stories, what's the difference there? Just um between art house and, and saying something that's meaningful to you, but not art house. Um, you know, maybe this is controversial to say in the film community. I like to tell stories that have a narrative beginning, middle and end, mm-hmm. whether it's our documentaries, our TV, our film. So we, we're independent, mm-hmm. but we're not art house. If you want to watch a Terrence Malick movie, do not come and watch one of our films. Mm. But if you want to watch something that at the end you might feel something or relate to something or resonate with you, it resonates with you. That's what we do. And that's what I like to do. Um, Even with during the pandemic, some of the social, the activism I've done and the socially, um, I feel important content we've done or when I've been out on the streets. um, To me, that all is part of that. It's what I feel, so I want to bring that to the audience. I want to bring dialogue to the audience in our show, in our talk show, and in our podcast. Yeah. And so, when did you realize that you wanted to make art, commercial art, that was meaningful? Like, was that at some point mid-career when you realized that you wanted to narrow down, or to do? It was in college. Yeah. Um, Actually, it's a good question. It was in college that I decided to. Um, the first issue I wanted to take on was learning disabilities hmm. because I have learning disabilities and I really saw that they're not a disability, they're an advantage. Hmm. It's just our societal makeup in the education system puts you in a corner instead of says you have a ton of talent. It's just not the, you're not going to maybe ace a science exam. Yeah. And yeah. so, I made a film about that, bringing comedy to the concept of learning differences, and it won a bunch of awards. Mm-hmm. And people, and then it actually, a lot of schools took it, but like bought it, and were showing it in their college or high school to say, "Look, we I brought comedy to it. Me and my friend have uh, both are have backgrounds in improv. I did the Groundlings. He did UCB, and so um, we took these." those talents and made this comedy about how people with learning disabilities are actually heroes. So that was it. That was my first one. I was probably 19, 18. Wow. All right. So I was just, but it was so fun. So even if you didn't know that much about the world, it was just goofy and funny. It has a big song and dance number at the end. I think it's still, it's on Amazon now. It's called LDU. 
And was the character a kind of like a direct translation of of you, as far as no, it was it was a it was a caricature of someone who doesn't know about learning differences. Uh, so it was two. It was the, the concept was two reporters go into the backwoods of Vermont <laughs> because they want to find out their new mission is to find out what the LD is because whoever has the LD might be causing lots of lots of uh, of conflict in the world and what mm-hmm. they come to realize is that they in fact have the LD yeah yeah so like a they world, have, a world view kind of revelation yes. there yeah. yes these guys have it's the like LD. the matrix remade it is it's the it's the i i can't say it better it's like it's like the matrix meets uh dumb and dumber <laughs> but with a point and a purpose and was with it, uh, a socially if, if, if dumb and dumber was socially was a uh, very socially woke um d- woke uh woke movie yeah, yeah. <laughs> so was that was that a vulnerable thing to lean into because you're you're making this work to put it out there right it was it was definitely it's been i decided starting then and then it still took time to really do it but i call it coming out of the closet mm-hmm. with your difference or mm-hmm. with what society calls your difference yeah. so it took a lot of time because i didn't initially want to do it i wanted to be part of the norm mm-hmm. i was able to fit into the norm and then at nyu it's really you know i i was in i got in because of the films i made not necessarily because of my academia Mm-hmm. but it was it's considered the top film school in the country so mm-hmm. to be different to say you have a difference was was scary yeah but then as i saw more success in doing it mm-hmm. i said screw it yeah. like judge me how you want i'm doing things you're not doing so yeah. not that it's a comparison contest but yeah did you judge me did, how you want like how do you measure success with something like that is it a combination of like reception, like people want to watch it and enjoy watching it. And is there also a piece of like, I got the discussion I wanted out of that? Yeah, I think that, uh, it's, it's three pronged. Hmm. Um, I think first for me, it's doing it because creating to me is my outlet. Mm-hmm. It's me. It's who I am. It's my baby. It's my heart. It's my soul. So being able to do it, being able to get the messages out there, being able to know that I'm giving myself in an artistic way, in the way that I know how to give, yeah. is very important to me. Number two would be anyone, one person, two people, 10 people, 10,000 people, 100,000 people, a million people, whatever the number, if they have a discussion based on it, mm-hmm. then I feel I'm succeeding. And then three is the reception. So I'd yeah. say the reception would be third. Um, with our movie last year that was in theaters called Restoring Tomorrow, which is on Amazon now, uh, as of a month ago or two months ago, um, Restoring Tomorrow, it got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, which wow. I think only two films got last year, which was awesome. Fantastic. That is Not nearly great. as rewarding. Yeah. yeah, which is really cool. I recommend everyone go see it. It's called Restoring Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, what it, what was is way more rewarding, and until the pandemic, I've been doing it a lot, is getting to go to different places and speak about the topics it brings up, which is community and making sure that we 
come together as a community. So we go out and make community right. together, which during COVID is more important than ever. Um, I was going to speak in different communities around the country about that topic. Mm-hmm. Having the individual conversations afterwards where someone would come up to me and say, Aaron, your film touched me. I now want to go do something good in my community. Mm-hmm. I want to go revisit my roots so I can continue for future generations. That meant the most to me. Yeah. What people took from it. Yeah, absolutely. And have you noticed that over time of doing this that, I don't know, I can't make any presumptions about how you were when you started in this process, but, you know, for me, there was a, there was a shift at some point in my own creating where it went from, you know, I'm just trying to be on the stage and make you feel something and communicate, but mostly it's a one-way process to where I really recognize the need for like a dialogue, like a two-way exchange of energy. Have you noticed yeah, that? Yeah, I, I guess I'm, I'm slightly different, but I, I hear exactly what you're saying. Yeah. My first thing, I guess, was, 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 uh, was nerves. Mm. I was nervous. Mm-hmm. It was, it's, it takes, I always believed in myself and I was always nervous. Yeah. Like, yeah. is this going to work? Yeah. Is this going to resonate? Is someone going to respond? Am I going to screw up? All the nerves that go through your head before you go out and there's, you know, 500, a thousand people waiting to listen to you. Yeah. Um, or watch what you do is nerve wracking. Yeah. yeah. So does it ever go away? To... <laughs> no, no. <laughs> No, it doesn't. Uh, the last place I spoke at before the pandemic was in Norfolk, Norfolk, Virginia. Um, Norfolk, Virginia, right? Yeah. Not Norfolk, yeah. I was in West Virginia, too. Um, Norfolk, Virginia. And the theater I was at was a gorgeous theater, whose name, which name I forget. But the night before... Um, Steve Martin and Martin Short had performed at the exact same theater. Mm. And so just that made me like petrified <laughs> because that's who you're following I was like, Oh my up. gosh, two of two legends of my life were on this stage the night before. I know I'm not going to deliver like they do. Mm-hmm. I just hope I create a dialogue. Yeah. So which brings up the dialogue portion of your, of your question. I grew up in, in a very lucky household in that, um, I had a middle-class upbringing where it was all dialogue. My grandfather came from Nazi Germany, mm. escaped and became a rabbi and promoted interfaith. Mm. So my life was growing up around dialogue. Oh, yeah. People from all backgrounds, all colors, all religions, all creeds, all thought processes, everything. That was our, around our dinner table growing up. So I, to me, it was the norm. Mm dialogue was the norm he created interfaith like a lot of the big interfaith organizations that was what his mission was was to create dialogue coming from a place where there was none yeah that's pretty cool and so yeah it was cool i didn't appreciate it like i should have when it when i was a kid but it was very cool to grow up around yeah yeah so what's what's driving you now like 2020 in the midst of covid world and yeah. You know what you know what's driving me the most now is one I think of what my I think a lot of what my grandfather would do right now. 
Mm. He's no longer with us. And I think of how, what, and my grandma, and all my grandparents, what they went through in their lives growing up, uh, my grandma growing up broke, my grandfather growing up, having everything taken away from him in Germany. Um, even in my, on my Canadian side, I'm half Canadian, them growing up with nothing mm. um, around Great Depression era. And thinking, man, what can I do now with what voice I have mm -hmm. to make a difference? Mm -hmm. And to make sure I'm not shutting out anyone's voice. Mm. Because the only way we can understand right now is to accept all voices. And mm. I believe not to agree with all voices, to accept all voices. It's a mm. big difference. Mm. Um, the to, to, like what I see on TV, and it's why we're doing the show we're doing, or a couple of the shows we're doing. What I see on TV is whether it, you watch CNN or Fox News or whatever you watch, is people trying to create more uh, more divisive uh, actions in our country mm -hmm. to either promote or reject, but with div divisivity, that's, I think, the right word, from the president to really just creating a seven-minute segment of fight. Yeah. And what I've wanted to do, and I know you've listened a little bit to our Aaron and Rohit's Hopeless Show podcast on, uh, on every podcast app, Apple, mm. or just look up Aaron and, Aaron and Rohit or The Hopeless Show. So that's all about trying to find hope in all things hopeless yeah. right now. And then the Together Show, which is about bringing on guests and having conversations that we might agree with, we might disagree with, but we're having a dialogue. And the comment section is open so anyone can comment, anyone can discuss. It's right now on a, uh, the Together Show on, or I think it's, the underscore together underscore show on Facebook. It's also on HWP, Howling Wolf Productions TV on YouTube. It's going to be in another landing spot soon, but we've had everyone from W.B. Du Bois' grandson, mm, wow. so the founder right. of the NAACP's grandson on the show, yeah. Yeah. to uh, we just had a right-wing conservative uh, TV pastor on the show. I recommend people listen to both. Yeah. Uh, you may really disagree with some of what is said. I keep my voice in the show, yeah. but it's bringing voices to the forefront. And we keep getting more, more listeners and viewers in that, in the show it's viewers, you know, we're getting 50, 60,000 viewers a show already. And if that can get people to listen to one another, have a mm. conversation and not just have these seven minute fights. Yeah. Then I think we're doing, something how, how do we how do we bring inclusion right and and not shutting people down into narrative fiction do you think um i think there's a big big scope of how to answer that mm. for example i saw something well i'll tell tell say personally first um, the things we're creating now, the goal is to have inclusion in that 
we're trying to make the best product, the best film that again speaks from my heart. Mm-hmm. Our our uh, even our our thriller that's coming out in uh, October called Tar. It got delayed because of COVID. Mm-hmm. It'll be in drive-ins near you, and then uh, and on demand on streaming and stuff. It's called Tar. It's about a third generation Jewish family that comes to the U.S. And then a creature comes up from the La Brea Tar Pits and attacks the city and the family. Hmm. So it is based in a truth of growing up the grandson of an immigrant who came here to try to make it. Yeah. It also has total crazy fiction is a really fun creature feature movie. Yeah. Fun adventure movie. Um, has a couple Academy Award nominees in it. I really recommend people checking it out. So I'm going to keep sticking to that narrative, hmm. whether it's a socially conscious film like Restoring Tomorrow to a more fun thriller. It still has the roots of things that I can relate to. Yeah. And as it, when it comes to inclusion, yeah, I always want to be inclusive for all types of people. Hmm. So um, working with every... I, which is maybe a um, something I have to work on is I've been too unaware of it because to me, up until really these last four years, mm. my life was just always I, about inclusion. Like I'd have conversations with my Christian friends, my black friends, my Latin friends, my Asian friends, like, What's your life like? What's it like? I like it was just always about that because that's how I grew up. Yeah. Um, I don't think I thought of it enough as I need to be think of it in a deeper, more inclusive way. And I want to keep working on that. Yeah. While also just telling the stories that I think are important to tell. Yeah. One thing that I didn't totally agree with is the Emmys came out, the, the nominations. Yeah. And there was a big, big topic there that I thought was weird where they said the African-American nominations and representation was through the roof, mm-hmm. but it wasn't fair to Latins. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm thinking in my head, we also have to be, it's good to make sure we're inclusive. It's also good to make sure we're honoring the best quality uh, product out there. Yeah. So there's a balance because, uh, you know, to say, let's say there wasn't enough Jewish content out there. Like I feel stupid saying that. Yeah. Uh, Maybe the content I made wasn't good enough. Um, So I just, I think there's a balance we want to find. I don't, I don't think any extreme is a good place to go, Yeah. but I'm glad that overall it seemed like an inclusive list of shows. I I imagine there's, two ways to think about it and they're not necessarily exclusive right but one is when you see somebody winning an award that looks like you right that sounds like you it may give you permission to feel like you can be in that industry and do what they're doing right yes and and the other school of thought is well if we're really digging into and leaning into diversity inclusion equity and these conversations then if we round out who's participating in our industries 
right? Then you're naturally going to have a BIPOC product of where actually a meritocracy, right? Where, yeah. where you can say with confidence, right? That, you know, the best products are winning, right? That's, I think you nailed it. That's to me, the actual American dream, which has never existed yet. Yeah. Uh, in my opinion is, uh, maybe that's the wrong thing to say, but I believe it to be true. The American dream is, has been a work in progress and, the failures of it have been uncovered the last four years and really the last six months, I think, to a lot of people, yeah. both the from the white supremacy, alt-right standpoint, and then from the big social justice movements where it's like, whoa, there, this is, there are just things that are just not right yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, the American dream is to have a true melting pot where yeah. everyone is coexisting and we're not thinking about race, creed, and culture anymore. We're mm-hmm. just truly treating everyone equal. Yeah. But right now, Black Lives Matter because they haven't been part of all lives mattering yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've and you know, anti-Semitism, which I didn't know existed in this country the way it does, is at an is an insane all-time high. It's up like two hundred, three hundred percent. Don't quote my facts, but some. Yeah. exorbitant amount the last four years. Yeah. So obviously Jews, there are a lot of people who just want Jews to be still exterminated yeah. um, in this country. Um, on a, That's a, on a, another level. So the American dream does not exist yet. It's yeah. still a dream. Yeah. I imagine that like something I think about the power of mythology and the kind of is I've evolved in, aging into this world and becoming more aware of things that maybe aren't different, but have always been right. Like I'm very aware of the power of like, say national mythology, right? Like the, the mythology of our country, right. That we're born into and we learn, right. The stories of what our country is and stands for and the songs and the way we talk about it. Right. And that's what, we're emotionally attached to, right? We're creating this resonance and attachment. And I imagine you and I care because we believe in the mythology, like the power of it, right? Yeah. The, the mythology of the, of the dream. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I think everybody gets so upset when you say that the mythology isn't real. I couldn't agree more. And I think, how do I say this? What we're, what we've been, what I've been seeing hmm. is, uh, and I, actually part of it goes back to education, is we are, because of our, our, our class system not being balanced in any way, yeah. um, lower income education, me, it has meant that our, a lot of people in our society are highly uneducated. Yeah. If you're highly uneducated, then what do you go to? That mythology. So mm-hmm. if you're white and your 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 family goes back 200 years in this country, mm-hmm. your lineage, yeah. and you're white and you don't really know much else, mm-hmm. then you're going to go on that mythology of this is the American way. I get my guns. I get my 
I don't need to, anyone to tell me about my masks. And I have my white privilege and I'm going to go to my parties and nobody's going to tell me what to do. Yeah. Now, to me, that sounds a bit off kilter, but it's also a truth right now. Hmm. So how do we solve the truths? We need to make sure everyone's educated, not about, not in their little bubble, but so that we're in the same bubble in this United States. Otherwise, we're not a United States. We're just states. Yeah. And I, th I think about that in my own storytelling, right? Like, who am I trying to include in terms of not in what's in my story, but like, how do I include different classes of reader or listener in that sense, right? Like, huh. if my goal is to impact people with what I'm creating, and it's only accessible to like a certain, like the educated class, right? Of people who typically come from universities and, and right. Yep. Yeah. There's a language to say working class and there's a language to a meritocracy and there's a language to access. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing to ponder. Um, something I think about a lot. I guess I'll give two anecdotes that come to mind on my end. Mm -hmm. um, the the first is, I guess I'll talk of an action I've done. Mm -hmm. um, I engage in, in conversation with everyone. I've been written. So I, I had two Fox News big guys, one's named Don, Dan Bongino, mm -hmm. uh, go after me. Big Trump supporter, big used to be in the secret service. Um, and you know, as a zillion followers, Trump's on his show all the time. I actually didn't know who he was until he went after me mm -hmm. and, uh, he went after me and then thousands of other people went after me. Yeah. It usually wasn't very well thought out stuff. I was called, um, anti-Semitic slurs. I was called slurs about, being in Hollywood, I was called, you name it. Yeah. None of it affected me on a personal level. Mm. What I wanted to do is help with kindness mm. is say, where is that coming from? Where is your anger coming from? You don't know me. Yeah. Why do you feel such anger? That didn't work either. Yeah. So then I thought, well, what's the root here? What else can I do? Um, the, I guess the, what I decided to do is try to engage everyone possible in the work I do. Mm. Come up with this. I know you can't see it on a podcast, but the logic party, which is <laughs> at the logic party on all social media, yeah. which is neither. It's a wolf with a, the toweling, but it's red and blue. So it's saying not left, not right. I'm trying to come at these things logically. Mm. So I'm not just part of a tribe, part yeah. of a, like a party tribe. Yeah. So I came up with that. Uh, and then I thought our education. You're trying to invite people. You're, you're standing up this tent and you're trying to invite people in who resonate with, exactly. a different, with, resonate with a different label than the ones that are charged. Maybe. Exactly. Cause if we, yeah. if we stick to this party way and this tribal way that our country's at, we're screwed. We're not a America. We're yeah. two different places. And so I guess that was one of the places I went mm -hmm. um, while also realizing that a lot of these people, the reason 
Trump resonates well with them is because he's potentially the first politician mm-hmm. that a lot of people who otherwise weren't into politics understand. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily in a good way, mm-hmm. but everyone's been in third grade. Everyone's been bullied. Everyone's mm-hmm. seen bully rhetoric. Everyone's been like the popular kids versus the not popular kids. And that's everyone's what worked for on. that middle manager too. And everyone's worked for that. Exactly. Yeah. And everyone's worked for that middle manager. Yeah. And so his rhetoric does resonate on a very low denominator, in my opinion, to everyone. Everyone can understand it, whether you like it or don't. Yeah. It's very obvious. My hope is that we can go above that because yeah. I think we are as a society, we can be better than that. Yeah. And it's why I, I had on our Together show, um, or it's the Together show live, I think is the, the actual name. We had uh, Pastor Lucas Miles on the last one. It's a two-parter. One's up now and one's going to be up shortly. He's a right-wing, very right-wing, conservative TV pastor. Yeah. Why I had him on is because he's well-educated. I went to college. Uh, not going to say my level of education because um, to me it's all overrated. It's more what you make of your life. Mm. Um, but what conversation can we have coming from completely different viewpoints? Yeah. Um, and I'll let the you you got the audience listen and see or watch and see what you can watch the show. Uh, it was very revealing to me, and then make your decisions based on what we say. Yeah. But giving him a voice is just as important as giving WB Du Bois, the founder of the NAACP's grandson, who's a big activist, a voice. Yeah. Because we need to hear all voices so we can come to our own educated conclusions. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Thank you. So moderately, moderately said. Well, <laughs> you know, it's a conversation, and that's part of being imperfect, right? Too. It's, yes. It's all we are all also, contrary to uh, the president's belief, we are all imperfect. We're all very flawed. What? None of I know, right? None of us are the best at everything, the yeah. greatest, the hugest. Yeah. We aren't. We are all flawed and we are all constantly learning. And if you decide when you're 15 or 14 to stop learning, you're stop growing as a person. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I've come to see is sometimes I think, well, I, I believe for sure that politics isn't really about politics anymore. It's about how we, maybe it never has been, but it's about, how we think about ourselves and our relationship to other and, and our reaction to other, you know, and if we've been made to feel other, right. By the people we're closest to, then I imagine that's an insecure place. And I imagine there's people out there who've never felt heard, right. Or seen, and that would shape your view of how the world works, right? And what's, yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. There are so many people who don't feel ever hurt. They've never felt hurt. Mm. They've never, and they're also 
still stuck. And all of us are. I'm too. There's pieces where I'm like stuck. And I'm, I remember things when I was 12 or 13, yeah. someone bullied me. And I'm like, that's still, I think about why do we still think about it? Cause we're human. Yeah. And if you haven't ever been heard, like you're saying, then you're thinking, well, wait, am I now being heard? Mm-hmm. Is my voice now being heard? Am I now being understood? Yeah. Am I now part of the conversation? Right. I think of it a lot also like the Yankees and the Red Sox. Yeah. Politics have become like you're a Yankee fan or a Red Sox fan, and you hate the other no matter what your team does. Mm-hmm. It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. You're a Yankee fan or you're a Red Sox fan no matter what, and you will yeah. always hate the person on the other side. Right. And I think our politics have come down to that a lot. Yeah. I think about this. Maybe a reason I'm sticking on it is because our storytelling, right? I think people, Yeah, I imagine people, like I know I read because for those moments I'm like, oh yeah, this person really gets it. Like something resonates with the way I see the world, right? And mm. maybe people don't read a lot because they don't see themselves and their truth in it. But in movies, you know, maybe that's what we're looking for. But like, what is success? in storytelling now moving forward when you're creating products i'm i heard you say fun and i heard you say things i want to continue creating things that are meaningful to me like are those two of the pillars of success yeah i think success is uh one of those four-letter words in a lot of ways (laughs) because even though it's many more letters than that because success I think is in a lot of ways, especially right now with what we're going through, success is in the eye of the mirror you look in. Mm. Okay. Tell me more about that. Because some of the moments, again, speaking from experience or my life, some moments when someone would say what I did, some outsider would say what I did was stupid or didn't like it. But if I look in the mirror and I think I'm proud of what I just did, Mm. I'm proud of what I just created. I'm proud that my voice was heard in that way on uh, whatever I did. If I'm proud looking in the mirror, Mm. that's success Mm. in the creative space, especially I could go have a massive success. Um, with a speech or a film I created or a TV appearance, but not be proud of what I did to represent what I feel. Mm. And I go back and look in that mirror and I feel like a failure. Mm. Mm. So I think it starts with ourselves and being proud of what we're doing creatively in the creative storytelling space. Mm -hmm. And then also right now, I believe storytelling is more and more and has become niche because there's so many different ways to tell stories and ways to get a creative outlet out there. Yeah. That's why it's called a creative outlet. There's many places to have that outlet. Mm. So as long as you have a conversation or you're starting some interest with a few people, that's a success. Mm. Like there are many leaders right now, in my opinion, who are making a ton of money who are, getting a lot of FaceTime who are 
doing all things where you think, wow, look, they have money and fame and power. Mm-hmm. And to me, they're failures. Mm-hmm. But I'm not them looking in their mirror. Yeah. So I don't know what they actually think about themselves. I know if I was them, I'd be looking in the mirror and thinking, I'm failing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm causing people to die. I'm causing people to be hurt for my own agenda. I'm what whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um to me that's failure. So success is is what we make of it. Okay. So this brings up a question I wasn't going to ask, but is that what a villain is? A villain. I think a villain is also in the mirror because mm-hmm. uh to one person a villain is another person's hero. Mm-hmm. And if anything I've learned that it's something I didn't think about as much. I thought we knew who the bad guys were mm-hmm. in these last four years. I've learned one person's bad guy, yeah. one person's behavior that I would find to be exactly the opposite of who I, how I was raised is another person's hero. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a hero and a villain are... Uh, are part of that gray area of life that we live in. Mm. Life is not black and white. Mm-hmm. Life is gray. Heroes and villains, I thought were black and white, but it's gray. I mean, some people were just in Walmart yesterday with Nazi masks on. Mm. I didn't think that, I thought that was a, a consensus thing. That, <laughs> that was not what we what we do in this country. Yeah. Yeah. I see people fighting for the Confederate flag still to me. I thought that wasn't, that was a obvious. That was, those are, that's the villain. Yeah. That's not what we want. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that a hero, for example, John Lewis, who just passed away in my mind, a guy who almost lost his life, because he fought for the freedom of African-Americans in this country and marched with Dr. King. To me, it's pretty obvious he's a hero. But some people, including leaders of the country, think opposite. So, you know, I think the hero is in the eye of the beholder. Mm. And the villain is in the eye of the beholder. Right. Okay. And so when you're storytelling, I imagine you have to be really clear about your point of view, right? That's something that can't be subjective, right? Unless you tell the story in a certain way. No, it, it can't, but it can. I think that it's also, I think that people, characters who have conflict are the best kind of characters. Mm. So any villain, let's take a famous villain like Darth Vader. Yeah. Darth Vader, we think is just a bad guy. Then we realize this is his son. Mm-hmm. And he just wants his son to come to his party. Yeah. Which happens to be the evil party. Right. But he still wants his son. Yeah. Every father, many fathers, I'm not a parent, but I believe many fathers want their kid to do what they're doing. Mm. So to me, or that's see the world, or see the world through their lens for sure, or see the world through their lens. Yeah, and so 
I think that that movie that came out, I believe, in the late 70s, um, before my time, it was already spearheading this concept that villains have complexities too. Yeah. Yeah. The good ones. Yeah. And it's the most famous villain, right? Just about. And that's the most famous villain that I can think of. Yeah. So exactly. So that, um, and then in our movies, in my creativity, I guess, to talk about that, I mm. go at it the same way with our movie tar that's coming out in October. Same idea with the villain. Mm. There is a, uh, there is a deeper rooted complexity to it um, with the villain. It's not just, just a simple bad guy. Mm. Um, because I think that's more interesting. Yeah. I'm always refreshed that way, but that's personal preference. What? By, the, by when there's complexity to the villain. Complexity. And I imagine with like a thriller, especially one that might veer toward horror, more elements of horror, right? Like, and throwback. It's a throwback to like the 90s yeah. style. There's, but it, sometimes it's like a, it's a little more subjective who the villain is in that kind of setting. So, yeah, and there can also be heroes that, that fall into a more villain category and vice versa. Mm-hmm. There could be villains who then, when as you learn more, you can see, oh, but I do see their point of view. Yeah. That's what makes storytelling interesting. And right now, in this pandemic and where we're at with storytelling, I think it's fun to examine those aspects of our creativity when we're bringing stories to light. Yeah. Go inward so we can go outward. Yeah. So, different question. I'm going to veer off. This is probably one of the last questions I'll ask is... Um, is there something you haven't done yet with your career that maybe scares you that you'd really like to do? Uh, the answer to is there is there something that I've haven't done in my career that I would really like to that scares me? Mm-hmm. The answer is everything. <laughs> there isn't one thing when I step into a new creative process or journey that doesn't have at least an inkling of fear involved Mm. with it. Mm. And I think if I wasn't, I'd be not doing my job right. If I didn't have that fear, because Because fear propels me, Mm. anxiety, nerves, is this going to work? That's what propels me to do it. Mm. If it was too easy, then why are we even doing it? It's just yeah. too easy. Yeah. So it's a, and so for me, all of it, everything from, uh, like when I just, when I just did, so this was a new thing as of last week that I hadn't done, <clears throat> which was have this right wing TV pastor on. It was a big following. And he's, I knew that this conversation wasn't going to be, was going to be the first conversation like it on this show. And I was nervous. I was like, is he going to walk off the show? Is it going to, are we going to get into a fight? I'm going to try my damnedest not to. Mm -hmm. But there was a fear. There was also a lot. What trumps the fear for me is the exhilaration, excitement, and Mm -hmm. determination to succeed in whatever I'm going to do. Yeah. 
but there's always fear. Yeah. Has anybody ever told but, you you couldn't do it? Has anyone ever told me I couldn't do it? Every voice that mattered. Uh, everyone, I have been told, I, in my email handle, it says, every no I've had has led to a bigger and better yes. Mm. Because in the entertainment industry, and in most industries, I'm guessing, almost any, mm -hmm. you get a lot more no's than you do yeses. Absolutely. And every no makes me more determined than ever to make sure that a better yes comes out of it. Yeah. Because everyone wants to be a dissenter. Yeah. Everyone wants to, and not everyone in the broad, like there's always outliers, but in general, everyone wants to be a dissenter. Everyone wants to say no. Yeah. Everyone wants to say, and every person, I, the most famous people that I've been able to interview or talk to or hang out with or be friends with, they all say the same thing. Yeah. Um, so yes, I've been fearful and told no a lot. And I try after that initial anger to, mm. okay, how can we, I mean, how many promises I've had or contracts yeah. that have been signed that have been thrown away. You know, it's been everything, everything yeah. you can imagine yeah. so far I've experienced. And there's going to be so much more that I'll experience that I couldn't expect. Yeah, It's like, I almost go in thinking, all right, something will go bad with this. How am I going to overcome it? Yeah. I imagine that takes a lot of self-preservation and some people may not deal with it with, you know, self-preservation, <laughs> but yeah, I've, it's actually takes a lot of learning. I, and I, it's taken practice on my end learning how not to immediately react. Oh, yeah. Lear, learning how to take a, take that 10 second, 10 minute, 10 hour break. Mm -hmm. to get your thoughts before you react because that first reaction is 90% the wrong reaction. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's deep breath. Okay. That was just said that hurt that mm -hmm. stung. That was wrong. Mm -hmm. Here's what I want to say. Now, what am I going to say and how am I actually going to internalize it so that I can externalize yeah. it? That sounds like nonviolent communication perhaps, but Nonviolent, which is actually just like in the creative ways or going out and peacefully protesting that I've done mm -hmm. or engaging in conversation. It's all the same thing. It's all right. Here's what's going on. How can I be involved? Mm. How can I not be complacent? How can I not sit in a room and just be angry about what's going on? My whole area in Los Angeles got looted. Yeah. So um, how can I not just be angry think about it, deal with it, and then do the right thing. So the day after my area got looted, I went and cleaned. Mm. I went and took a scrubber and a, um, a razor and cleaned the graffiti and swept. Yeah. Now that was eight, 10 hours after. The immediate reaction was, we need social justice and this has to stop and I want to I don't know. You just want to like burn the, burn the place down. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not good. That's not healthy. No. So we have to, I think everyone on the right, on the left and everywhere and in creative storytelling, when you get told no, or when you don't hear the answer you want, mm -hmm. take a deep breath. Don't go 
right to someone and try to fight them. Don't go right to Twitter and bully someone. Mm -hmm. Take a deep breath, take self-inventory, and then yeah. make a decision of what you, how you want to approach the situation based on that. That's sage advice. So for people who want to find you, how can they learn more about you? Sure. So I've, I think I've said a few of the different things we're right. doing. Me personally, I'm at the Aaron Wolf, T-H-E, Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, Wolf. Our company's Howling Wolf Productions or Howling Wolf Prod on all social. Okay. And if you want to reach out to me and have any, have any questions or thoughts, don't like something I said, like something I said, by all means, reach out. I like to respond cool. to everyone. Um, and, uh, and then I, I do encourage everyone. It's on Facebook. It's the underscore to, or it's, it's the together show or the together show live. Cool. I also you have links, you have that. links from uh, howlingwolfproductions.com to all that. Yeah. If you go on howlingwolfproductions.com, yeah. you can see all that stuff Great. as well. Um, but the, again, just, yeah, reach out. That's how you can find me. And also I'm not the Aaron Wolf because I'm the only one. It's just <laughs> when I decided to pick a handle, Aaron yeah. Wolf was taken. So yes. I decided to put the word the in front of it. <laughs> It was that that ninety percent moment where you were pissed and you're like, "Well, screw you, buddy. I'm yeah. the Aaron Wolf." Also, it's well. I'll go back to what I was talking about earlier about getting bullied by some of these pundits on Fox News. By the way, a channel I've been on, nice. I've been a guest on Fox News, talked about what I believe, and was accepted by them. So it's kind of funny that then these guys bully me. Yeah. I met all of the the characters on it, um, um, but. What to go back to it when I started getting bullied by these people? One of the things that they bullied me about was that my handle is the Aaron Wolf mm -hmm. because they'd say, Oh, you look at you, you think you're so great that you're the Aaron Wolf. And to the ones that I felt like writing back to, I would say, No, it was just that was the handle that was available that, they, <laughs> that was suggested because Aaron Wolf was taken. Sounds it like a like, Seinfeld the episode. It, it kind of was, yeah, it was very Larry David-y. So it was like, it was just like, no, I'm not. It was like, I had that option or like Aaron Wolf 465328. So I chose the Aaron Wolf, a lot simpler. There you so go. So that's how you can find me. And I hope anything I've said has been uh, of some resonance to your listeners. And by all means, reach out if you agree or disagree with anything I've Fantastic. said or we've talked about. Great. Well, Aaron, thanks for being a part of the podcast. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure and great job on your end in bringing up some really timely and important issues. Thank you. And keep creating, everyone. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller. As a reminder, any and all links can be found in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, will you please consider leaving a review? By doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover The Fearless Storyteller podcast.